This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast and it's a very special edition today as we come from both sides of the Atlantic. Um, we've got uh, both myself, Adam Jones, Gab Buckland uh, back home in Merseyside and then uh, our Everton correspondent Joe Thomas is way over there in the United States capital, uh, Washington DC, where he's been uh, the only media outlet to be following uh, the Blues throughout the, the entirety of the, the US tour. Um, obviously Everton flew out there with a 32-man squad on Monday and uh, Joe's been there um, all week with them. So uh, good morning, Joe. And um, how has it been so far? Obviously Frank Lampard's um, first pre-season in charge, first trip away. It, it, it's a big moment for them. Yeah, it really is. Um, and it has been really interesting to watch what's going on at the club so far out here. Obviously, they, they took a really big squad. Uh, it's clear that you know, there's a lot of players that they want to have a look at, a lot of fringe players included within that, and obviously a lot of youth players as well. I think, you know, as we'll be going through a lot of Everton supporters' minds at the minute, there hasn't been a huge amount of transfer activity. James Tarkovsky, the only incoming sign, and with the Premier League season not that far away, I think Frank has, has probably been slightly pragmatic and, and decided that he wants to look at as many of the players that he knows are at his disposal as possible so that he doesn't run the risk of perhaps cutting anybody loose or leaving himself short, at least in terms of, of manpower. You know, if there are any if there are any golden nuggets within the squad that he hasn't had the chance to see up close and personal properly, you know, this is his chance to do so. Um, and perhaps, perhaps strengthen through the academy this season and give some of those players, you know, like Lewis Warren and Isaac Price, a chance. But it has been really interesting to, to watch them, um, you know, just to watch them in a more colloquial environment. It's quite informal here in Washington, D.C. I think some of the players, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in particular, have spoken about the anonymity that's afforded Premier League players when they come over here. And at the moment, they're, they're a bit out of the way. Obviously, they're in they're in the capital. They're in the, the business centre, basically. I think when they get to Baltimore over the weekend and perhaps when they get around the, the match in, in Minnesota, they'll have a, a lot more focus on them but the moment it's, it's kind of giving them a chance to relax take a step away from the limelight uh, and perhaps maybe have like an informal environment to get to know each other but one thing that is clear is that despite the heat over here you know despite how early it is in pre-season Lampard and the coaches are working them really really hard so I think there's a, a real sense that this is an opportunity to learn a lot about the squad um, to prepare to make good strides preparing for next season and I, I think that's what they're trying to do yeah um, Adam, obviously Joe mentioned there's a 32-man squad out there, a big party that, um, that Frank's brought along. But it's interesting, of course, he, he said he wanted people to be included in that group, and that includes the likes of Alan, who has been out injured, um, Andros Townsend continuing his rehabilitation. And, of course, Captain Seamus Coleman, who's it's been revealed as actually touch and go for the start of, of the season. I mean, it could, the manager's alluded to it himself, could be a big opportunity for Nathan Patterson, then. and of course, there's a lot of people who we sort of wanted to catch the manager's eye um, these, these coming weeks. Mm, 100%. There'll be a lot of players who will be having their eyes on this sort of opportunity. You'd feel, you know, the likes of Nathan Patterson, of course, you know, he, he is Everton's right back now that Seamus Coleman is suffering with this injury. Uh, he, you know, was very unfortunate to miss his chance that was going to come for that West Ham game towards the end of last season. So, it's going to be very interesting to see how he uh, how he grabs this potential opportunity with both hands over the course of the summer because you know this is this is a real chance for him to stake a real claim when you know Seamus Coleman can't really have an answer to it essentially so 
it would be very interesting to see uh, how he steps up to that mantle. Somebody else who like it, it keeps just cropping in, into my mind is John Philippe Gabamon as well. It, it's mm. it's going to be a very interesting summer. You'd feel for him. Uh, you know, he's been quite prominent in all the training videos uh, throughout the end of last season. He uh, during his loan with TSKA Moscow, he got a lot of playing time there, which I think was probably the thing that was holding them back most. <coughs> he just couldn't get he just couldn't get the minutes to be able to prove his fitness and you know actually be at his full strength essentially so it's going to be very interesting to see how how fit he's returned to the club uh how he might perform in these uh sort of pre-season games how he might catch the manager's eye as well or whether you know the, you know, the club's hierarchy will think that this is this is the right time to sell him on and maybe he'll be catching the eye of other clubs throughout uh, throughout this summer period we we're, we're not quite sure as of yet uh, and then obviously it's a it's a big chance for those sort of young players who've gone out with uh, the squads. Lewis Warrington similarly coming back after a really uh, interesting loan period of his own. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he can potentially step up. Stanley Mills is one that I'm, uh, I'm very interested uh, to see a bit of with the first team. He's been really very good for the under-23s for a, for a little while now. He's a very versatile player. So I'd be quite interested to see where Frank Lampard actually sees him. As a player, uh, whether he sees him on the wing or more in the centre, that that's sort of yet to be seen. And then even players, you know, the likes of Lewis Dobbin, who is still a young player, of course, but he's been in and out first team squad for a little while. So it'll be it'll be quite interesting to see how much games and he can uh, potentially pick up over this period. And yeah, like, uh, I think there's a there's an interesting opportunity for a lot of players. Yeah, and Gav, not just. Um personnel but it's also that the style of play i know that frank has said that this is an opportunity now for it to be my team the, may, the way i want my team to look sort of alluding to the pragmatism that he obviously had to show during the the recent relegation battle but now with a full pre-season behind him it's a chance to put his stamp his footballing philosophy as it were on the team and maybe play a bit more the way he's wanted to play yeah frank lampard football um yeah i mean we, we... Said at the start when he was appointed in, in January, that it was effectively two jobs, wasn't it? Didn't have to be a genius to work that one out, keeping us up and then assuming that was achieved, taking us forward. And the two things didn't necessarily need, made necessarily the same thing in terms of how the team was set up. So we obviously set up one way at the end of last season that got a, a certain style that got us results, but that is not sustainable over over a, over the season. For many different reasons, so um, I'll be interested to see what Frank Lampard football for Everton looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as Adam just alluded to there, that within that there's plenty of opportunities for people to to make the name for themselves. And um, I, I think also as well is he obviously he's a manager who who who, who sort of is based on some of his judgments on how well people train. Last season he said a few times, didn't he? Oh. He's picked. He's he's been training well this week and all that type of stuff. I know that's usual, can be usual guff by from managers, but I think Frank in Frank's case, yeah, he obviously believes in it. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we set up, and then that will be determined by the personnel uh, that they've got. With within that, at the moment, is where I'll be interested to see is what they do with Nora Charlison. Yeah, yeah, of course. Is how they how yeah. they you know hopefully. Between now and the start of the season, that might be addressed via the transfer market. 
But I, I was just wondering what is, is initial thoughts about how the setup of the team will be. Will you have four three three or four four two or you know how how you how you do that? How you how you fit a Wolby into a role? That's not necessarily the role that you played at the end of the last campaign. That's another one for me as well. And also how we set up in the middle of the defence. If you got Tarkovsky in, how we how, how how that works. So those are the two or three things I'm looking at from this tour to see what how that's how that's addressed. I may give a pointer of how Frank operates in the transfer market. He may not. I mean, and this is this is sort of based on some of the people who've been linked, but he might not want a life but life replacement for a Charleston for the start. Yeah. And and um, so I think there's three or four areas, Chris. I'm, I'm interested yeah. to see how we set up and how Frank sets us up uh, going forward, and if you know what that means for the this season. Yeah. Well, Joe uh, Gab's mentioned a couple of players uh, you've sat down with already. There, um, Alex Awobi, an exclusive interview, and we've got one coming up with James Tarkovsky, the only new signing. Um, so far, you've been actually watching a bit of the training. Um, are you able to say tell us what you've actually seen? What's it look like? Um, how are the Blues shaping up? Yeah, there's a, there's a, an open media training session yesterday that I was able to go and take a look at, and you know, I mean, it was quite uh, it was quite it was quite interesting to watch. Obviously, I don't think they're I, I think they're cagey about revealing too much when the eyes yeah. of the world or the eyes of some people are <laughs> are on it, but. Um, one thing that's, that's clear is I think that uh, Lampard wants to be more progressive this season. You know, I think at the back end of last season, we saw a real pragmatism about the way that they played because of the injuries, because the availability of, well, because the ability and availability of the players that, that he had at his disposal because of the situation Everton were in, you know, it became, a, it became a, a case of having to essentially concede possession, sit back, you know, fill, fill the middle and just and hope that you could force teams like Chelsea and Man United into having to put balls in from, from out wide and obviously Everton's strength at the back end of last season in defence was probably, you know, getting something, getting ahead on the ball, getting a, a clearance and, and defending the box from those, those crosses in. Um, he spoke quite openly about it at the end of last season. He's continued that train of force coming into this one. I think he wants a model where Everton have a much bigger impact on the game themselves rather than being, you know, submissive and almost waiting for the other teams to come on to you. I think this season they want to be a lot more intensity. Uh, they want to push up the pitch a lot more. And I think he also wants to, and this is where Tarkovsky might come in, um, have a side that's much more able to to play out from the back. Obviously, I think what he chooses to do will depend on who he can bring in, the personnel. Obviously, it has been slow at this point, but there are still, there's still quite a while left to go in the transfer window. You know, One thing that's clear at the minute is Everton's strength is probably at the back. If you look at Obviously, you know, Jordan Pickford got England's number one in goal. James Tarkovsky is a great signing. Mikhlenko impressed at the back end of last season. Nathan Patterson could be like a new signing this season. I know that's a cliche, but obviously he didn't play in the Premier League last year yeah. um, after his arrival and then his injury. And then across across the options at centre-back, and there are a lot of options at centre-back at the moment. You know, if you assume that Tarkovsky is going to be starting, then whether he chooses to play two centre-backs or three centre-backs, you'd like to think that there's going to be a solid partnership that can form within that group of players. Obviously, Tarkovsky's already played and has a relationship alongside Keane. spoke to him about that yesterday and, you know, he, he enjoys playing alongside him. Yerimina was was praised a lot in training yesterday during some of the drills. They're doing yesterday during what we were seeing, they were doing a lot of um, essentially a take on attack v defence. We had a, a small pitch with two goals 
all the defenders essentially have to defend the two goals. You know, their their job is to maintain possession, not lose the ball. The attackers is to try to get it off them and then score in one of the two goals when when they get it. Jeremy you know, played well in that and, and, and received um, you know vocal praise from the sidelines, particularly for his distribution, which is obviously a positive thing to see. Although it's not his ability that's in question; it's his his, his durability, yeah. uh, I suppose. They're working a lot, and I found this quite interesting speaking to some of the fitness staff and the coaching staff. That you know, traditionally there's a, a kind of thought process that when you come back from pre season, that you work on a lot of the technical stuff first, and then you get into the football elements, you know, playing with the ball and getting fitter through that. Whereas what Everton are trying to do at the moment is almost fitness through football. I think, you know, one in this environment is a bit more colloquial, a bit more informal, but they actually think it kind of helps aid that resilience and build strength quicker going into the new season. So it's clear that there's, there's, there's a lot of thought process going around tactics, around how the, Frank and his, his team want to set up going into next season. I think whatever their ambitions are, we'd be naive to think that they might not be influenced by what does happen over the coming weeks and who we can get in and not. There are obvious issues in, 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 in you know, there, there are gaps to fill. How do you... How do you replace Richarlison? Do you go like for like, or do you try a different formation? And you know, how do you best support Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who, who really looked good in training yesterday? And again, I see a very small snapshot of an informal um, process. But again, I was speaking to, to, to some of the fitness staff, and, and they said that Calvert-Lewin was was perhaps a player that impressed them the most with the condition that he'd come back in, and he looked really yeah. sharp. It's a, it's a really big year for him. It was a really big four months for him. You know, he, he's had that injury last season, obviously he finished on a high with a goal against Crystal Palace, but you know, he's probably got a bit of a point now and he's got a World Cup squad that he wants to get into. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned about Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, Adam, another one, who's surely going to have a, a big part to play now. Well, Frank Lampard was adamant about this this week, was was Anthony Gordon. There's been, there's been interest from elsewhere, Tottenham Hotspur, Newcastle United. Bids of uh, varying degrees, supposedly, for, for Everton's homegrown hero. I mean, the manager was fairly adamant, wasn't he? He said he's, he's going nowhere and he provides that link um, with the crowd. It seems that um, he, he expects big things of Anthony. He's been handed a number 10 shirt, but now says uh, he needs to go and uh, prove that, show why he's been given that, that, that illustrious jersey, as it were. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think the thing that impresses me most about Gordon is that he's never shied away from that desire either like he, he's done another interview today where you know the, the club kind of asked him what 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 do you expect from your 22 23 season and he was quick to say more goals and assists that's yeah what he knows he needs to bring to his game and uh, that's that's something that he's always had the desire to do and i think as i say that's what impresses me most about him because you know he's he's not just somebody who you know is is clearly a very talented footballer works hard for the team has this connection with the fans, but he's also seemingly got his head screwed on for me. You know, he's he's very analytical of himself. I don't think he's overly critical of himself, if that if that makes sense. Like he, he he's he is just he, he can take himself at face value in in, mm-hmm. in that sort of respect, and he can say, okay, well, this is a part of my game which I will need to improve. And he's got he's got the desire to be like he said. He doesn't want to be a good player. He wants to be a top player. And I think that you know that to have. A player with that sort of ambition, somebody who's the, the best prospect that Everton's academy has produced in, you know, probably a generation. Really, uh, to have somebody like that at the club, it, it makes complete sense why the club would be so steadfast in saying no, he's not for sale. It makes sense why Frank Lampard 
would have so much faith in him, not just throughout this summer, but you know, throughout throughout his time as manager, really. He's given he's given Gordon so many chances. He's given uh, he's given him so much praise and accolades, uh, which is which is really, really promising to see. So you know, it, it's all just knitting together right now, and I think it would have been it would have been an absolute disaster. I think if if Everton had have uh, entertained the idea of selling them in any in any sort of capacity, so I think this is this is the right move for everybody uh, involved. I think that especially for Everton fans, this is a welcome bit of good news at the minute uh, to have you know Anthony Gordon essentially tied down. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really really promising to see, and I'm really looking forward to seeing. Uh, how he can excel his game a little bit next season because he's he's another one who he was back in sort of individual training a week before he actually went back to Finch Farm, wasn't he? So I can imagine he's probably in quite good condition coming coming back to to a you know preseason training as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see if he can you know make a, even a step up in physicality as well as a step up in you know sort of output and technique and stuff. So I think it's a really exciting time for Anthony Gordon. Yeah. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Talking about exciting times, Gav. Um, going back to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, Frank Lampard says that a fully fit Dominic will be something to get excited about next season. But he also alluded to to Dominic um, off the pitch. If I, uh, just a um, quote here from what, what, what the manager said. He said that um, Dominic shows a bit of personality a bit of uniqueness off the pitch. I mean, presumably alluding to um, uh, these various um, fashions that he's he's been um, um, obviously on the magazine covers, yeah. which is something which I think we should applaud rather than question. People want to put two and two together, and maybe in terms of what Dominic is. I saw Dominic in my time at the club, striving, doing everything to be fit, to be as good as he can be because he's had injuries. So I was delighted with the powerhouse we saw in the last games of the season. That's Dominic. Um Quite strong stuff again from from the manager, but it is it, especially with Richarlison going. It is imperative that he does get back to that goal scoring form, the sort of form he showed the season before last. Yeah, just before we start, I was slightly worried when Joe was saying about uh, uh, training for the media over <laughs> there. Just had your vision show of you dribbling and out of cones and sort of doing <laughs> ten by fifty yard sprints at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if you're impressed, Frank, Joe, you may be in the team for the, uh, yeah. the weekend, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's obliged to say that, Frank, and I've got not got a problem with what Dominic does. I mean, off yeah. the pitch, as long as, you know, it's like old cliche, as long as he does it on it, uh, yeah. you know, and um, I, I fully understand where Frank's coming from there. Um, and at a time when it's, we, 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 and this is another old cliche, isn't it? At a time when we, 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 Criticise footballers for being bland and putting out the old sound bites and yeah. having agent-influenced conversations and all that type of stuff. Um, somebody who is a little bit of original, an original who sort of doesn't necessarily follow the 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 usual path. Um, I've got a lot of time for that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I think I think, and it doesn't. It not only doesn't it doesn't do Dominic any harm, doesn't do Everton any harm, by the way. Yeah. As a result, um, and so I've I've not got a problem with that, but it's it's as I say, I'm, I don't not got a problem about it. I'm not really bothered about it at the same time. I'm only bothered about what Dominic does on the pitch. Yeah. And, and he's, Dominic's had a bit of a. I mean, we, we spoke about that Deli Ali being at the crossroads of his career uh, yeah. last week or a couple of weeks ago. Dominic is at the crossroads of his career now. He's no longer a promising striker, is he anymore? He is is he twenty five now? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's twenty-five, so he's now entering his what should be his, you know, peak three or four years of his career, um, and he has to, you know, a stay fit on and off the pitch, but. I'm still going back to that. I know there was other factors last season, but Dominic Dominic's problems as a goal scorer go way beyond last season. They go back really to Christmas 2020, and his his, his entire Everton career is built on two periods of goal scoring. First, when Carlo came in mm-hmm. uh, that Christmas after Duncan Ferguson scored a couple against Chelsea, he had a good run then for well for, for you know till lockdown. Uh, and then you come back out of lockdown in, in the September and had a great run, didn't he? he? Was at ten or twelve goals games, ten or twelve goals. But since after the Christmas, it dried up for him. Yeah. And so it's not just necessarily a period of time last season that that he didn't do himself justice or didn't look athletic. Goes back twelve months before then. So yeah. it's it's a longer term thing with Dominic, and he need I, I, he's. Though he's at 25, to me, he's a, 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 a central striker, work in progress. Said before, needs to do, it's not enough to score goals. You've got to work hard off the ball. You've got to be creative. You've got to be uh, be a team player, be a link man within the team. And all that stuff needs development for me. And he needs to do that for a start and, and show, and this way, good coaching comes into it. But also as well, he needs to create his own goal, you know, his own goal scoring opportunities. We've spoken about that many times before. Yeah. And the third thing with Dominic, which is sort of outside of his control a little bit, is we've got to get the service to him. Lost with Charleston. I'd spoke about you. Hopefully, Anthony Gordon, if he's a bit more creative, um, you know, will help. But that's also the challenge for Dominic. So it's a big season for him. Um, hopefully, he's fit, fit, fired, and focused, uh, and 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 he can. Um, so I say that quickly, by the way. Yeah. Um, he, can, he can kick on and show his, his form of the of two years ago. But to me, it's it's, it's going to be a challenge for him. And um, it, it's a big campaign for him because we need his goals. We're losing, what, 10, 12 goals a season with a Charleston. We've yeah. got to make that up somewhere, haven't we? Yeah. And, uh, we, need, we need Dominic 15 to 20 would be my target for him easy next season. Yeah, and often uh, important goals for Richarlison as well. But Joe, as well as the the development that's going on 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 the pitch, I mean, these kinds of um, trips are big for, for team bonding and all that sort of um, thing, which is uh, Frank has put great stock in as well. I mean, there's been various events going on and around the area, haven't there? Obviously, the Men in Blazers event last night. I think some of the squad were over at the baseball, the Washington Nationals, with Leon Osmond throwing out the ceremonial first pitch there but a few of the lads were there watching the game as well I mean that's that's a big part of pre-season as well isn't it yeah absolutely you know as as much as you know as, as much as it's important to, to get the fitness in the bag and to work on on tactics to have a look at the players obviously you know some of those players forming relationships with each other and and you know having a positive spirit and, and getting the mood right in the camp is also hugely important in terms of laying the foundation for the next season I think you know, obviously the back end of last season was so intense, so highly pressurised that you can understand or you can imagine that a lot of those players, just like just like us as fans and, and, and reporters, you know, would have been desperate for a break come, yeah. come the back end of, of May and June. And I'm sure that's that's helped. I think this is an opportunity to almost press the reset button, as, as, as the cliche goes, and 
you, know, you have the same players back, but in a very different environment. I think crucially, what is different is that for for Lampard and his coach staff, obviously they they inherited the the relegation battle, albeit it perhaps didn't look as severe as it became when 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 Lampard and his his staff staff came in. You know, they entered into a club that was already in in, in turmoil and already in a difficult situation. So, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of pressure cooker environment. That intensity was has always been there for for Lampard, and that what he's got now is he's got the opportunity to have those players in a more informal environment where he can put his arm around them, where he can perhaps be a bit more personable with them, um, and he can see how they adapt and how they operate in in, in different circumstances. And I, I think that's a big opportunity. And, and I think there's also a sense that although obviously last season was, was quite traumatic for supporters and ended with a lot of intensity for the players. Obviously, it's been a shorter break this this summer because of you know factors like like the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a sense that although the reset button might have been pressed and and the you know, pressure might be off a little bit more now, there's still that lingering sense of of what happened last season, both in terms of the negative and in terms of how close they they came to relegation and the jeopardy and peril of that situation and how you know scary it was for the club and those associated with it. But then also how positive some of the aspects of Final weeks, you know, the the building or the the rebuilding of the bridge between the fan, the players and the fans, and and I think that's still lingering, and that that momentum is still carried on. It's almost like they've had an opportunity in the break to purge the negatives because the relegation battle's gone, but maintain the positives as the, the building blocks for this season. So, you know, hopefully, obviously, you know, we see that in the team bonding, we see that in the players going to the baseball, we see that in the you know the, the way the players are interacting with the fans. Have been very good with us, and they come across loads of fans at the moment. They, you know, they're very much behind the scenes at the moment. Yeah. That stuff will come in Baltimore. That stuff will come in, in Minneapolis. But, you know, I've seen them on multiple occasions where they've kind of almost chanced across fans. And, you know, don't get me wrong, haven't been hiding in the bushes or behind a pillar, but they haven't necessarily been aware that the member of the press that's followed them has, has, has been in the hotel having a meeting with someone else while, or doing an yeah. interview with someone else whilst they're there. And it all seems very genuine. You know, they're... I haven't, I haven't seen anybody turn down a photo or an autograph or a chance to have a chat with a supporter. And, you know, I think that um, this is a real opportunity to kind of bomb with the players, bomb with the management and just, as I say, work on building a positive approach to the new season. As I say, hopefully build on some of the better aspects and energy at the back end of last season while removing the pressure of what became quite a, an intense relegation battle. Yeah. And, and Adam, while while Joe and the players are over there in, in the USA, uh, Kevin Fairwell, new director of football, has understood to have stayed back in uh, the UK to try and work on some of those transfers. I mean, the latest name being thrown into the hat now, uh, Morgan Gibbs-White. It's understood that um, talks are ongoing with Wolverhampton Wanderers. I mean, it, it's a big fee for, for a player who... Is, is reputation so far mostly uh, established in the championship, obviously on loan at Sheffield United last season. Evan have done well in the past, and obviously Moy <coughs> in Cahill, Julian Lescott um, after the work they've done in that in that division. But um, it, it, like I said, it, it, it is a lot of money, and when we consider what Everton's transfer budget for the summer uh, might be, uh, for a big chunk to go to go on a, a player like that. I mean, how do you feel about somebody like uh, Morgan Gibbs? Very interesting, isn't it? I think it would all seemingly depend on how the deal was structured. You'd, yeah. you'd, you'd, you'd probably think that if there was going to be some sort of deal struck, that Wolves would want a significant amount of it paid up front, whereas Everton probably 
would want to stay clear of that as much as they possibly can in their current uh, financial situation. So it, it, it is very interesting. And as you say, it's a, it, it, you know, if Everton were to pursue this, you would imagine that it would be a significant chunk of their transfer budget as it stands going on. A player like Morgan Gibbs-White, uh, from everything that I hear about him, though, he's an absolute top talent. There's a lot of a lot of people who watched a lot of championship football last season who think he was one of the best players in that division uh, last last year. Which is, you know, it, it's I think it's something that we've said for a few years now. The championship is a division that Everton just have kind of avoided in terms of their transfer strategy. Weirdly, over the last uh, couple of seasons, and I think there are there are some good deals to be had if you if you're uh, if you go after a talent that's proven themselves in the championship. Now, Morgan Gibbs-White seems to me like a, a type of player who it's very low risk that he'd, you know, that he'd cut it in the Premier League as well. I think he's you know, he's he's ready-made to be a, a sort of Premier League player uh, from from all the... I've not watched them loads, but from all the bits that yeah. I've seen of him, he, he, looks, he looks like a quality Premier League player to me. You've got a question why he's not getting into the Wolves team. Maybe it's just competition in the side, or or something like that. So that, that that's maybe something that uh, that Everton should be looking at. But it's a player that Kevin Thelwell is going to know very well, isn't it? From his time at Wolves, uh, Gareth Prosser is probably going to know him very well as well from his from his time uh, with the club too. And you know he might he might well have helped bring him through the academy during his time in the club. So if if it's if it's a player that these that these uh, members of Everton's recruitment team know very well, then I, w- I wouldn't have a problem with Everton pursuing it. To be honest, uh, he seems he seems to me like a very versatile player as well. Can play out wide. Uh, looks like his best position is more central, like an attacking midfield sort of second striker sort of role, which you know I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to. It, it really depends. You know, we were discussing this when we were talking about centre backs a little bit earlier. It depends what formation the. Frank Lampard's going to play, of course. Will he go with a sort of two up front, maybe with a uh, Calvert Lewin and then Gibbs White playing playing off him a little bit? I mean, that's that's something to be thinking about a long time in the future, I suppose. But uh, I'm 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 not too uh, like I'm not too worried about if Everton were to pursue this deal for Gibbs White personally. I think it is it is a lot of money, and you know, depending on how the deal is structured, you know, it it could. It could end up being a much better deal for Wolves than it would be for Everton right now. But I think if Everton were to pursue this, they'd be getting a quality player in return. And you know, sometimes <laughs> you just have to pay big money to get these to get these sorts of quality players. He's still young as well. I think he's still got a lot of room to improve. Despite the fact that Everton would be paying a significant amount of money, I still think he'd have sell-on value, regardless of what happens during his time at Everton. So you know, this this seems to me like a like a smarter sort of deal that Everton should be should be pursuing. So it, it'd be very interesting, I think, to see if uh, if Everton go down this route because you'd imagine that would be the sort of de facto Richarlison replacement. You know, he's he's not like for like sort of sort of replacement, but he's he's essentially coming into that area of the squad. You would imagine. So yeah, it'll be a it'll be a very interesting to see if Everton pursue this any further. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, Gav, um, given that um, see they, they've raked in the, the money for Richarlison, it doesn't necessarily mean that's all going to be invested back in the squad. I mean, that's a simplification. But 
Um, realistically, I mean, how many new faces do you want to be seeing coming in there? I mean, Lampard has spoken about the need for a central defender and a central midfielder. He's got the centre-back there in, in Tarkovsky. Obviously, the midfield still needs addressing then, and obviously you've got to replace Richarlison. I mean, w w would you be happy for, w with those kind of numbers, or do you think they, they, they realistically need more? If you, if you had the blank sheets of paper um, and the blank checkbook, yeah. more importantly... Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 I think it's quite obvious. I mean, I'm not saying anything new here, am I? That you know, a replacement for the Charleston, but not necessarily in the same role. Yeah. An attacking midfielder, you know, you can score goals. You know, I know you've just spoken about uh, one, but you've got, um, it's, it's we've still got, notwithstanding what Ad was saying about Gabaman, we've got no natural number six. Mm. Who'll show for the ball? Who'll control the play? Who'll play on the half term? Like like Delph, um, we still haven't got one like like that. So there, there's three for the start, I would say. Uh, I could go on a bit longer, you know, but you could be here till four o'clock. Um, mm. But I mean, let's face it: who's our backup striker? You know. There's one, one, I imagine, at the moment, yeah. Yeah, if Calvert Loom was injured or off form, if you got as a, if you got as a backup striker, so yeah, there's a, there's a few, there's a few there. I've not said that if Deli Ali has a great season, you know that that's potentially one area you've you've um, covered. But I'd, I'd say I'd say the Charleston replacement, attacker midfielder number six, are the three. Three key ones for me. Yeah. And, and going off what Gav just said there, uh, Joe, if it moves us on to uh, the owner's statement um, last night. It's reiterating things that we've been told off the record. He's now gone on the record in terms of reiterating um, his, his um, commitment to, to the club, but if I just focus in on one particular area of that, as when he was saying judges at the the uh, the end of the the transfer window, because he's obviously um, understanding of the the, the frustrations that uh, many Evertonians have so far, that the, the lack of new signs, given that it's only free transfer, James Tarkovsky through the door so far. Yeah, how how could he not be? I think um, you know, however close or however far away he might be to the fort, the fan base. I think it's pretty obvious to everybody that transfers is where a lot of the supporters' interests currently lie. You know, how it's clear that Everton do need to strengthen ahead of the new season. Um, and at the moment, the activity is, is so far being limited with just Tarkovsky coming in, but obviously, you know, balanced out by, by Richarlison going. I think it's a fair point, you know, transfer windows are, are very fluid things and they're not something that one club can necessarily take control of unless it has a huge checkbook or a big dearth of players that are, you know, that, that, that it can sell for huge amounts of money. You know, we know that we know that Everton have to be savvy in this window and that might not necessarily be because money isn't there, but it's obviously whether the money that is there, how, how can they spend it and, and operate within the, the, the profit and sustainability rules you know, I mean, a lot said of, of Evans' history in the transfer market, often leaving deals late, and obviously that 
that does handicap someone like Frank Lampard because it gives him less of an opportunity to to work with those players in advance of the new season. But that is also just the kind of realities of where we are. I think one of the obvious places that Lampard to go this season is is, is Chelsea. Obviously, it's, you know, it's his former club. He has a lot of connections there, and he has a lot of strong links with some of the the young stars that will probably not have guaranteed. Well, almost certainly won't have guaranteed first team football. and might be on the periphery of the first team squad. The likes of Brozier, Gallagher, Lampard has always been of the opinion that he that he fought. Gallagher would stay and try and fight for his place there. So I'm not sure how seriously he, he's ever viewed, how realistic he's ever viewed the, the chance of getting him over there. Um, you, know, you have Levi Colwell, you could potentially argue Billy Gilmore, who, who like Brozier Lampard gave his first team debut to. But you know, we, we think Everton has been a, a club in turmoil, a club that has been a roller coaster ever since. You know, it was a roller coaster of a season and then stopped kicking a football around, format of a break, and then the summer has just been chaos mm. non stop. Obviously, it's been similar at Chelsea. Um, yeah. You know, Chelsea have had a lot of uncertainty, a lot of players in and out. And I think there has to be an acceptance that in order for Everton to, to be savvy and to operate sensibly, obviously, you have to try and get the early free deals that they did with Tarkovsky. They moved well on him. There has to be an acceptance that he's probably also at the mercy of, of, of other clubs and their activity as, as well. And, you know, Chelsea being one of those. You know, Tuchel is still assessing that squad. So if anybody is going to become available, whether for sale or for loan, you know it's probably only going to emerge in, in the next few weeks. Same is going on for you know all all over the place. Obviously, you talk about the drawn out negotiations between Barcelona and Manchester United for for, for De Jong or something, or you know apparently Barcelona and, and Leeds for Rafinha. There there are clearly there are clearly a lot of potential deals that might be just about to happen and they'll set off a big domino effect. And I think the reality is to Everton, where they are at the moment is they're going to have to be picking up some of the loose ends from that fallout. You know, when there's one big move and it starts a chain reaction, Falwell and Lampard need to be there to say, well, where, how can we exploit this situation? Who is now the player that is no longer wanted at club or who's the player that might be able to add something to Everton that perhaps now feels unsettled or that he's not going to be given the chances that he wanted to and might be you know available on loan. So I think in terms of that aspect of the statement, waiting for the end of the transfer window for the club to be judged upon, I think that is I think that is fair enough. I think that is fair enough. We know that Falwell is, is working hard to try and bring players in. They wanted to bring a new player in, another new player in before the US tour. Obviously that hasn't happened. I think, again, you, know, you you look at what Mashiri says, and one thing you don't want him to do, because obviously this has been a factor of of, of Mashiri's tenure, is the last thing that we want is for Everton to panic now, go out, spend whatever money they have the ability to spend for the sake of it. So they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't at the moment. We've, we've nobody, or we've only Tarkovsky haven't come in so far. People are understandably sat there thinking, you know, season's only a couple of weeks away desperately need to strengthen what's going on. I'm, I'm worried here. But on the flip side, what they can't do is they, they can't afford to to squander any money, squander any resources, to take unnecessary risks in, in, in the transfer market. You know, hopefully what we're seeing is we're seeing Everton taking a step back for once, looking at the market, thinking how we can exploit it and a sensible transfer strategy that will become clear as the window unfolds and that will reap the benefits of in the season. That's hopefully what we're seeing. Obviously, 
you know, Bashiri's put that statement out yesterday and this weekend, they go and spend 30 million across three different players and we're all sat there thinking, where's this come from? Then, then, then I think the alarm bells might start ringing, but you know, I, I think judging at the end of the window is, is certainly a, a fair enough approach. This, I think that's reasonable for Bashiri to ask that of the supporters. Yeah. And Adam, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was no accident that uh, Mr. Mashiri's statement came after it was uh, known that um, the 27 campaign were um, about to uh, release uh, at 9am an open letter to him, which they subsequently still did. And I mean, you covered that this morning. They said they felt that their points were were still valid. I mean, what do you just make of the, the, the whole situation about both what Mr. Mashiri's done and obviously uh, what the 27 campaign are looking for? It's very interesting, isn't it? I think um, in, in a lot of respects, you know, this is the 27 campaign from what I can remember when it was brought in was very much centered around communication and, mm-hmm. you know, a lack thereof as they, as they described it from people such as Farhad Mashiri. Um, this is now Mashiri's second open letter since uh, the end of the season. Now his, his first one didn't come as quickly as it should have done, of course. But, you know, for the owner to address the supporters like this twice uh, in, what is it, a six, seven-week period after yeah. the end of the season, maybe a tiny bit more. Uh, to, be, to be honest, I think this is this is the start of something a little bit different in in my opinion i think this is this is at least the start of a of a road towards improvement because he is he is coming out and addressing the fans and you know albeit he's not doing it quickly enough you know obviously we we have had this sort of week or two period with a of essentially confusion between what's going on between the club and this uh, this consortium that we're planning to take over and stuff like that we've had, we have had a lot of confusion, a lot of back and forth over that. So maybe it would have been nicer to have a little bit more clarity on that uh, a little bit, a little bit quicker. But you know, I, I, I find it hard to really have a go of Farhad Mashiri for communication when he is actually coming out and communicating. Now it's not as if he's texting Jim White anymore or anything like that. He's coming out on official club channels. He's addressing the fans directly. In you know, I think I think it's in in a, a relatively significant amount of detail. Now, the 27 campaigns uh, statement, which they released today, uh, mm-hmm. further to their, uh, their open letter to the majority shareholder, they believe that his statement yesterday didn't go into as as much detail. And to be honest, they, I, I, I kind of see where they're coming from in that sense. You know, they, they, do want, they do want clarity on essentially everything <laughs> about the way the... Uh, the club is run at the minute, and I, I don't think you can bemoan supporters for for wanting that in that sense. You know, this is you know the, the fans are the club at the, in in this sense, aren't they? And uh, you know, as the uh, twenty seven campaign kind of mentioned in their open letter, I think they they said that you know the Premier League is kind of waking up to the fact that all over the country the fans are custodians of the club rather than the people who are you know in charge and have all the money and and stuff like that. So. I, I feel like the, the the reality lies somewhere in the middle of of, of both camps. To be honest, uh, like in this in this particular scenario, I think it's I think it's a little bit harsh, in my opinion, to to still to still have a go at Machiri, especially for communication. When you can see you can see he's do he is doing something different now. He is he is seemingly trying, in my opinion, to 
be a little bit more open and you know he's he's addressing fans in what I think is the the right manner doing it through official club channels whether people want it you know to be you know a, a video live stream or whatever that's just it's just it's just not going to happen is it he's not he's not gonna he's not gonna do anything like that I think you know releasing statements like this you know maybe if this became you know a sort a sort of monthly thing at the minute while while this while the club is still in in this sort of limbo that might be that might be a, something worthwhile and you know perhaps that's something he's he's going to take on board and he's going to he is going to address the fans more often i do hope that 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 does happen in the future but i do think this is this is the sign of some sort of positive progression at you know at, at its base level at the very least you know so i'm 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 content with it at the minute, but let's see. Let's see how that develops in the future. Yeah, I mean, Gavin, um, that muses the, the the phrase limbo there, but um, Mr. Machiri was 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 quite adamant there. He said there's there's no for sale sign um, above the door. I mean, I suppose in the literal sense, he's he, you know he is correct nice. on that score. But um, did it reassure you? Because you know Evertonian's been on this great roller coaster ride on the pitch. Unfortunately, in recent months, you know, very close to a first relegation in seventy-one years, still a lowest equivalent points total joint in the club's history. And then um, there's this idea that Mr. Mashiri's selling up. We have all of that, and then all that suddenly came to an abrupt halt at this beginning of this uh, month. He was saying that, that, well, his sources were saying that the deal was dead. And the consortium was saying they were still the only show in town. I mean, does it draw a line under it as far as you're concerned? Because, I mean, there were still so many questions to be answered. Um, I don't think draw, drawing a line, Chris. I mean, I've got, mm. I'm got a for sale sign outside my house at the yeah. moment. Somebody come, come knocking at my door and offer me 200 grand more than the asking price. I'd probably snap their hand off, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, to be honest with the way it is at the moment, if you ask me 10 grand above the asking <laughs> price, probably take it yeah. off them. Um, so yeah, I mean, not being for sale and not being open to offers if somebody wants to buy the club are two completely different things, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think it was interesting on that point about what was not said mm. in it. Bear in mind, like the stories that there's been people, um, have an exclusivity. Yeah, feels and maybe other parties being interested. Well, how we got from that to the club is not for sale. Um, that means to me, I think possibly if the right offer comes in, he's he would sell. Um, mm-hmm. the, the problem with that, and I'm just speculating here, yeah. and I'm not the only one to do that, is whether he sort of put the feelers out that he wants to sell, but what's come back is not the value that he wants for the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been talking about on the pod before, isn't he? I mean, it's all numbers, isn't it? You know, um, say Farad, you know, he's put a hell of a lot of money in, wants five hundred million pounds for Everton, and he'd still make a loss on that, probably of a couple of hundred million. You know, make that sound relatively small, don't I? Yeah. Um, is Everton worth five hundred million quid? Bear in mind, what was the? What did Newcastle go for? Three hundred. And then you've got your stadium as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm just speculating here is maybe he's put, you know, there's been a few unofficial discussions. Well, one very official by the sound of it. But the 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 outcome of is start actually it's not worth his while selling at this moment in time, which is fair enough. That's that's his choice. But that that I mean, in some respects. 
is last last time when was the last podcast up was it last was it Monday or last about week? week? About a week ago. Yeah, I'm saying that part of the problem is with Everton at the moment. This is last week. Is the uncertainty around if they sell a club or not? Yeah, and people. Um, in that business uncertainty, you, that's the one thing you don't want because you don't know what, who's going to be funding stuff and who's making the decisions and stuff that. If I had to come out and said it's not for sale, I'm going to be here. Well, that, that removes, like it, whether you want five to stay or not, that removes that uncertainty, doesn't it? Yeah. And so in, in some respects, that message last night, I take a little bit of comfort off. Whether people want five to share or not, that's, that's another discussion. But if it removes some of the uncertainty at a high level within the club and the way it's operated, I think that's fine. Yeah. Well, I suppose in many ways it'll be a relief that we actually return to to football at the weekend after <laughs> all this um, speculating and uncertainty of, of the re- recent weeks. I mean, it's to be hoped it's not as bad as the last time after the Everton and Arsenal played the um, last game of the Premier League season. It was 5-1 to Arsenal and uh, they'll be facing the Gunners at... Um, MT and Bank Stadium in, in Baltimore Saturday night, um, midnight going into Sunday UK time. But Joe's out there, um, obviously covering the game in person. We've got um, Adam on duty too, so follow us up for all the latest coverage. And we'll be back with you to discuss the, the aftermath of that and Everton moving on to the second leg of the US Tour. So then we move on to Minnesota next week. So from myself, Chris Beasley, Adam Jones, Gav Buckland, Joe Thomas, all the way over there in the USA, this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.